Everything under your roof is important, so make sure your roof is up to the job. For over 20 years, SureTop Roofing has been covering triangle homes and businesses. SureTop Roofing is certified with all of the major shingle manufacturers, providing a 50-year non-prorated warranty. SureTop Roofing has estimators, project managers, and design consultants on staff, guaranteeing superior service. Visit SureTopRoofing.com. SureTop Roofing has you covered. Welcome to the Carolina Contractor Show with your host, Donnie Blanchard, brought to you in part by GAF, the world's largest roofing manufacturer. We protect what matters most and Mid-Atlantic Roofing Supply in Raleigh, a roofing supplier with a different approach. And welcome to the Carolina Contractor Show. My name is Eric Smith. With us, of course, is Mr. Donnie Blanchard from SureTop Roofing. He's a general contractor. How are you, Donnie? Doing wonderful. How about yourself? Pretty good. Hey, real quick question. Christmas lights. Yep. I still have people in my neighborhood that even have their trees up. Should there be a law on that? I think so. They're way past the grace period at this point. I will give credit, though. When I drove in on Thursday morning, I mm-hmm. usually come in and it's still kind of dark. Mm-hmm. They look great when we had that little snow that came on Thursday. For sure. But aside from that, it's time to take the Christmas lights down. All right, we're not a show about complaining about covenants and neighborhoods and Christmas lights. We are the Carolina Contractor Show. We like to talk about your house, the inside, the outside, the roof, uh, your basement, your yard, uh, things you can do, DIY projects when it's time to call a contractor in like Donnie. You can get more details, again, at the website. That's the best place to start, thecarolinacontractor.com. The the is in the website address, and that has links to the Facebook page, YouTube page. If you've missed past episodes, you can download them in podcast form and listen to them at your own time. And you can also ask the contractor a question. That would be Donnie. There's a little button on the website. You click, fill out the information. Any question about your house you have actually doesn't have to be just about your house because you've answered questions about grills and 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 pools and and all sorts of weird things. A little bit of everything. Yeah. So he likes a challenge. So feel free to contact Donnie at the website, thecarolinacontractor.com. We also have a special guest coming up today. We're not going to spoil it yet, but it's a very special, special guest. And uh, first off, we want to talk about COVID and and, and mask wearing, and that will relate to our guest today. Mm -hmm. But do you think, Donnie, there should be a law that even when we no longer have to wear a mask, some people should probably still wear the mask for the uh, the beautification of our great state and country. That is very fair to say that some people look much better in a mask. <laughs> There's definitely some people we've seen and went, wow, you look a whole lot better with the mask. Eyes are beautiful. Yes, they are. Now, not to make light of uh, wearing a mask in, in COVID, this does relate to our special guest today, Donnie. You want to introduce him? It would be a pleasure. Uh, back in the spring, we were fortunate enough to have Dr. David Peden, who is the Senior Associate Dean of Translational Research at UNC Hospitals, uh, really had the, the pleasure of making his acquaintance on the, on the job, doing some work for him. And I found out who he was and just how important he was to the current pandemic situation. And he was kind enough to come on our program, like I said, in the spring. And we have him back here today. So welcome back, doctor. I can't thank you enough for your time. Well, it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for inviting me back. Yeah, And just to um, let everybody know where we're going with this, uh, we're going to talk about the doctor's recommendations or maybe an endorsement that the doctor may have on some of these HVAC changes that we've had so many questions about in the last couple of months. But first, doctor, I know that you have a lot to say about, of course, the vaccine, the new strains that we're hearing so much about. And um, I'll just uh, let you take the floor and, and kind of explain what's going on at this point in time. Well, thanks. Uh, thanks, Donnie. And, and again, it's a pleasure to be back on the show. 
First thing I'd like to say, uh, and this is a prelude to the vaccine, and I'm going to follow up on your on your mask introduction, is that even though vaccines are available, uh, at least to some people, we'll get to that in a minute, and, and even though vaccines are, uh, uh, are, are, are a clear tool in our uh, getting our way out of the coronavirus wilderness, what is absolutely essential and what people can do today and what absolutely works is to wear masks in public, Wear masks when you're with anybody that's not within your immediate exposure bubble, you know, your own family that lives with mm-hmm. you. If you have kids that have made their way to having their own households and they come to visit, from a coronavirus perspective, they're not a lot different than your next-door neighbors that come over to visit. In other words, you need to wear masks. You should socially distance. Uh, you should use good hand hygiene. Those things we absolutely know will minimize and decrease and and bring and bring the pandemic under control. So let's talk a little bit about what what is a good mask. I'm a clinical immunologist and an allergist and we spend a lot of time looking at air pollution. That's the and so extrapolating from that, folks in our center looked at the effectiveness of masks in stopping anything from getting in. Now previously we were worried about air pollution particles, but now we were worried about particles the size that would carry coronavirus. And what's clear is that any face covering is better than no face covering. But there are some face coverings that are better than others. And, uh, you know, the, the, the absolute best face covering in terms of blocking particles is the N95 mask. Uh, and if you can't get an N95 mask, almost equally effective is the KN95 mask. And the, and the number 95 refers to straining or keeping 95% of the particles out of your airstream, assuming the mask is worn correctly with a tight seal around the nose and around your face. And ideally around your face, uh, if you're male, uh, you know, you should be, it's best if you're clean shaven. And for some people who had mustaches or facial hair for most of their life, like I did, that, that was a, uh, that was a bit of an adjustment. I shaved specifically so in the event that I needed to go see people with you know, at risk for or who had coronavirus, I could wear an N95 mask and have it fully work. And, you know, for people out there, if you look up pictures of Dr. Peden, you will see that he had a awesome, awesome. stash going. He looked like the smart Erp brother, like yes. Wyatt Earp's smart older brother. So he really did. When when he says to to listeners, you maybe men, if you have a beard or a mustache, consider shaving. You made the ultimate sacrifice, doctor. The doctor told me that someone said it looked ten years younger, so you can't beat that. I will take that silver lining uh, as long as you <laughs> as long as you focus on what used to have hair and not anywhere else. But uh, if we could get everyone to simply mask on a regular basis, that would be extremely helpful. And and that's why you see regulations about needing to wear masks when you go into things like grocery stores, et cetera. So, so I, I just wanted to get that out there because that remains the most important thing. And frankly, uh, for the folks uh, that I think are avid listeners to your show, of course, everyone should be an avid listener, but specifically those that do contracting work or 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 contemplating contractors. I do think what what does social distancing mean, and and, and what's a you know what are the recommendations? So a an exposure. If you're a person that you're worried about when when you see websites or you call you know and you say, have you been exposed to someone with COVID? What does that mean? That means being within six feet of somebody uh, with without a mask for more than fifteen minutes. That that by itself or anything closer than that represents a close exposure. Other things include. 
if you're unmasked entirely, if you're using utensils that person used, et cetera. Uh, but, but the definition is within six feet without mask, that's, that's a close exposure. Uh, so you take that. If you are working in somebody's house, wear a mask the entire time. If you feel a need to get something to drink, uh, you need to be truly by yourself. Take your mask off just long enough to get that, you know, that, that drink of water and then put the mask back on securely. Right. Uh, if, uh, if you, uh, if you are, uh, uh, and your customer, the person in the house, I mean, I can only imagine, uh, I'm going to guess that most contractors, people are more than happy to just stay out of the way, but I'm going to guess you've got roughly 20% of people that think that they are better at contracting than you are. And they're all over you. Now is your time to say, get off my back. Literally. Yeah. The contractors, they like to hear that because that's something they felt before the pandemic even, and uh, it's nothing worse than an overbearing homeowner that watches every detail and you just can't get anything done. The homeowner should be willing to wear a mask while you're there, and certainly if they're in the same room. Now, if they're in a completely different room, if you're working, if you're doing roofing or if you're doing HVAC up in the attic and they're in a downstairs room, okay, that's probably less important, but if they're in the same room with you, if you can see them, if they're talking to you, they ought to have a mask on, and you definitely need to have a mask on. That's the one thing you can control. And you should ask for two arm lengths worth of distance or more between the two of you. That should be something that you do. The other thing I wanted to point out is that uh, just because uh, people are going to hear this, oh, I don't have coronavirus, I don't have any symptoms at all. Well, the truth of the matter is, is that a substantial fraction of people who have infection don't know it. They are either so lowly symptomatic that they ascribe their symptoms to something else I don't think there's great data, and I, you know, I, I could be corrected on this. I don't think there are people who are long-term coronavirus carriers. But what we do have are people that incidentally get infected and, in fact, don't realize it, but they can still, they can still transmit virus to other people. So absence of symptoms, while modestly reassuring, should not be the thing that, that tells you not to wear a mask or to, or to avoid social distancing. That's why firmly adhering to it, really makes the most sense. It does make sense. Uh, and you gave me a nice idea for a transition to the vaccine, but everything you just mentioned, how does any of that or all of that change once you get the vaccine? I think you should view the vaccine as an insurance policy. You don't want to have to use it. I mean, if your car is insured, that doesn't give you a license to drive into a telephone pole. Right. And I think that that's the way you should view the vaccine. The vaccine is clearly ultimately going to make it feasible to for us on a public health service basis to reduce some of our restrictions and to re-equilibrate what we consider normal and to go forward and have sporting events that look like sporting events and shopping that looks like shopping, et cetera. But right now, even if you've been vaccinated, you owe it to yourself and you owe the people around you to continue to mask, to continue to social distance. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's how I would view it. The vaccine, as it was tested against the predominant strain of the virus uh, that was present at the time that the, 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 the testing was going on, is 95% effective. That's great. That's wonderful. That said, uh, it's still 5% of people don't have complete protection. Now, we do believe that vaccines do one of two things. They either prevent you from becoming symptomatic, that from having illness at all, or they markedly minimize the illness. In other words, you already have some immune activity going, mm-hmm. you may have an infection, but you may not get nearly as sick. And that's also a laudable goal. We know a lot of people want to get the vaccine, but is there a group of people that 
should not consider taking the vaccine? Right now, if you've had a vaccine of any type and you've had a bad reaction to it, that's something you should speak with your provider or the person giving you the vaccine first. That would be the primary reason for someone to avoid getting the vaccine. And also, because the vaccine comes in two doses, if you have a serious allergic reaction to the first dose of the vaccine, you are not going to get offered the second dose because there the risk-benefit ratio of you having an immediate dangerous allergic reaction is higher than getting coronavirus because, one, even the first dose of vaccine gives you some protection, and, two, you can still implement social distancing protections. The biggest risk group that people are looking at now, and, in fact, the NIH uh, is beginning, or more specifically the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, are organizing the study to see how often vaccine allergic reactions occur uh, in people who have had serious allergic reactions to anything in the past. As you may have heard, there are some reports now that people with a history of having either anaphylaxis or a serious allergic reaction to either stinging insects or foods or to a drug uh, or just spontaneous, they don't know what caused it, but they had anaphylaxis, that some of those folks are having uh, serious allergic reactions associated with with one of the two vaccines, although the first vaccine that that was out in any uh, uh, to any amount was the, was the Pfizer BioNTech vaccine, and that signal, while real, still needs to be put in perspective. It's still pretty small, mm-hmm. uh, but there is there is a study being organized now to get a better handle on how often that actually does happen and to try to get a sense as to what element of the vaccine or what element of the immune response or what risk factor actually really promotes that, uh, that response. Uh, so uh, we may be, UNC may be a study site for that, but, uh, we are, we're, you know, but I know that the, the NIH is just looking at that. When we were together last on that site visit at your home, you mentioned just how the vaccine works, what it actually does in your body. Can you kind of recap that for some of our listeners? Sure, I'm, I'm happy to do that. So, The two vaccines that are currently available, and the reason they have these special cold storage requirements, uh, one more so than the other, is because they are mRNA vaccines. What does that mean? So the way any biological system works, uh, uh, the things that work, you know, the, the, the molecules that actually do things in your body are proteins or glycoproteins, which are proteins that are decorated with sugar like molecules that give them specific function. Well, the instructions for making those proteins uh, is called messenger RNA or mRNA. So the mRNA is like a reverse blueprint, and it goes to, to things in your body and in, in, in your cells called, uh, you know, this. Uh, I, I will make people get high as they recall their high school biology, the rough endoplasmic reticulum. And the, and the rough part refers to ribosomes. And so ribosomes is where the mRNA uh, gets transcribed, and that's where the body actually makes protein. So why am I dragging you through all that is because the vaccines that are working have taken the instructions for the spike protein in the molecule. That's the, that's the molecule, that's the part of the, uh, of the coronavirus that latches onto the H2 receptor and actually makes entry into the cell. And <clears throat> so that's why it's the favorite target for the vaccines. They kind of retro-engineered that, and they look at what the mRNA message for that protein would be. They took that SNP, and they put it in, in, in a vaccine that's delivered by lipid microspheres. So it's like little, you know, little you know, oil gumballs, as it were, that the, that the mRNA is inside. And the reason it needs to be in the lipid microspheres is so it can go through your cell membrane 
and get into the inside of your cell where the mRNA can then interact with the rough endoplasmic reticulum. And your own body makes, mimics, it makes the spike protein that your body then makes an immune response against. So in a sense, the microspheres are like a Trojan horse. The mRNA gets in without having the whole virus, just having that one focused, uh, that one focused instruction, your body makes that tiny piece of the virus that that's kind of the, you know, the landing gear that it gets into your cells with. And, and, and that's what, uh, and that's what your body makes an immune response against, which includes antibodies to it and also probably cellular. So immune cells called T cells may, you know, have an immune memory. All of that goes into how your body can then subsequently fight off the vaccine, you know, the actual virus when it comes in. Uh, the, 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 currently, the way it seems to work best is that you get two doses. You get the first dose, and then with the Pfizer vaccine, it's three weeks later. With the Moderna vaccine, it's four weeks later. Uh, there's probably no magic in those numbers. They, someone took their best guess, and they made their and they developed their clinical trial that way. And because the data from the clinical trial was using that dosing scheme, that's that's what we have data to say that's how it works. But in any event, the uh, uh, and for most people, about a week, uh, about a couple weeks after you get your second dose, that's when you probably start having effective uh, immunity. So, uh, mm. so it doesn't take long after the second dose to to have immunity. The third virus, which is the Johnson and Johnson one, uh, it, it works slightly differently. What what happens is that the is that the instructions for the spike protein are inserted into a into a fairly weak adenovirus, which is a common vector for, uh, we call it a vector. It's, it's, a, it's a virus that acts as a Trojan horse. The adenovirus is easy to make such that it's weakened so it doesn't cause general infection, but it can get taken up into the body. And the adenovirus does what the lipid microsphere does. It takes the, vi- yeah, it takes the viral DNA in- into the body, and then when the adenovirus tries to replicate, it includes the instructions for the uh, for the coronavirus spike protein, and then and then that molecule is made in the body, and that's what you make an immune response for. That's different than what the older vaccines were actually taking pieces of virus or or mutated virus that's weakened and attaching it to molecules called adjuvants, which just basically annoy the immune system, so the immune system takes it up better. So the, these are fairly novel new ways of giving vaccine. Probably one reason why the mRNA vaccines proved to be so effective. Mm. Uh, so this is the other, uh, uh, but but that's uh, hopefully that wasn't uh, too sleep inducing. But but that's <laughs> how the but that's how the two vaccines that are currently available work, and how the third one will work. The good news about the third one, we I actually don't know the data as to how efficacious it's going to prove to be, but as long as it provides at least seventy percent or better protection, it's going to be useful. Uh, but the adenovirus uh, platform does not have the same stringent storage requirements as do the mRNA vaccines. So, so that's going to make it easier to store and to distribute and to get that vaccine out. Uh, whereas the mRNA, you know, we don't know yet how its efficacy compares to the mRNA vaccines. Uh, the, the flip side is that if we, and this gets to the strain differences, if, if we do see mutations of the virus that might, might, you know, that might change the spike protein enough that, that weakens the immunity, the mRNA vaccine will be probably easier to modify because what happens is that once those new strains come out, 
uh, laboratories all across the world, uh, but uh, some key ones, are taking the genetic code and are, b- again, back-engineering the mRNA. And the process of modifying the vaccine relative to the new strain, at least technically, is relatively straightforward. Logistically, it will not be straightforward, but technically, it- it'll be relatively straightforward. Uh, that-, that probably gets me to the-, to the next thing, which are, you know, does the vaccine still work against uh, the different strains of the-, of the virus that are becoming known in the news? The honest answer is we don't really know how effective the new va- the, the, the vaccine will be against that, although it will still likely be very effective. It will still certainly be worth getting vaccinated. The U.K. variant, that was the first one, uh, that was a little bit more infectious, but the efficacy of the vaccine didn't seem to be. I mean, if you back engineer the protein, that part of the, uh, of the virus seemed to be OK. Uh, there are there are possibly some changes in the uh, uh, in the uh, 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 in the other in the Brazil and the uh, uh, South Africa strain that may modify slightly the the efficacy of the current vaccine in terms of protection. Uh, studies are now going on in which people who have already been immunized or had natural infection, their blood's being taken, their IgG antibodies, which are called neutralizing antibodies because they neutralize the virus in in the test tube are being taken, and folks are now looking at whether or not people who have already been immunized, if they're neutralizing antibodies, which are only one part of immunity, uh, can still neutralize uh, the newer strains. And they still, for the most part, have reasonable activity against that. That's all a test tube test. Uh, So it may well be in real life, uh, there's still really good uh, uh, vaccine protection Certainly, the signal is not. It's it's more analogous to the variations in influenza that we see year to year, uh, and uh, but this is uh, vaccine. I mean, viruses mutate all the time. That's nothing new. That was almost anticipated that that would happen at some juncture. Having said that, uh, that is not a that 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 does that's not a game over kind of thing. Uh, we should be able to adjust to that. And the current vaccines are still very, you know, we think will be very helpful with that. So, so it's something to be cautious of, but not something to panic over would be my, that's my personal opinion on it. So, doctor, would you say that then, similar to the flu, there will be on maybe an annual basis, there will be updates or modifications to the COVID vaccine. So people may be getting it who next year, it'll have changes to relate to these new strains. Would that be correct? I think that's feasible. I mean, the honest answer, um, the honest answer for a lot of this stuff is we're still figuring it out. But I think that strategy may well be one that emerges, that there are annual or semi-annual or booster shots at various periods of time that people may need uh, because because it's impossible to know yet because not enough time has passed how long the vaccines are, are effective for. Uh, you know, childhood immunizations, most of them you get an initial immunization and then some booster shots, uh, which basically just expand immunity. Uh, you know, people who had chicken pox should get a shingles vaccine. Uh, you know, it's the same virus that comes out in a different way. Uh, uh, and I think that, uh, and again, uh, we're learning, uh, we'll, we'll be learning more about this right now. That there is no official recommendation yet because we we don't really know that uh, people who uh, the you know I'm an immunologist uh, people who are expert in infectious diseases and epidemiology and 
uh, you know, and are very directly involved with that question, will almost certainly opine with that. And uh, uh, the current administration, I think, is taking this extremely seriously. So there's going to be a lot that we learn about the coronavirus. What I think is fair to say is that coronavirus is now kind of a permanent part of our uh, uh, of our landscape. Uh, I think the notion that the coronavirus is going to go away, it is not going to go away. Uh, it will be something we can easily, we should more easily be able to deal with. Uh, and it's, uh, but but I think the anticipation that this is going to go away is wrong. You know, when I first began my immunology training, there was a strange new illness that emerged that got a lot of attention. Uh, uh, that that is now known as HIV disease. That hasn't gone away. Mm-hmm. We're dealing with it a whole lot better than we used to. And coronavirus is probably going to be kind of the same thing. Uh, uh, so, uh, and we've had other, you know, outbreaks before. Ebola was an outbreak. Zika was an outbreak. Uh, uh, we have available to us, if we use it, the expertise and the infrastructure to help deal with that. But we have to bolster that infrastructure and be aware that this threat is kind of an ongoing thing. Well, Dr. Peden, me and Donnie on past episodes of this show, obviously one of the subjects we tackle is HVAC systems. And it looks like the impact that this virus and viruses in general will have on HVAC systems is modifying them where they can limit, inhibit, reduce the spread of a virus, and in some cases, stop it at its entry point into a home. We've run out of time for this show, but could we call you back next week and get some opinions how HVAC units and air systems can help inhibit or stop the spread of something like COVID-19? Uh, that would be great. I'd be, yeah, be happy to come back on and, and chat about that. If you want more information on this, hit the website, thecarolinacontractor.com, and we'll have the podcast up there. We'll also have information up here about what Dr. Peden has been talking about. It's just great information and coming from someone who knows what they're talking about. We really appreciate him being on. So tune in next week, and we'll have him on again. And in the meantime, if you need anything with your roof, be sure to contact SureTop Roofing. They come out, do free estimates. They'll check uh, your roof for any damage it might have. Maybe it has no damage. You don't even need to be replacing your roof. That's awesome because what Donnie loves to say is what? Your roof looks great. Call me next year. And we will see you next week on the Carolina Contractor Show. Thanks for listening to the Carolina Contractor Show, presented by SureTop Roofing. Learn more and submit your questions at thecarolinacontractor.com. Everything under your roof is important, so make sure your roof is up to the job. For over 20 years, SureTop Roofing has been covering triangle homes and businesses. SureTop Roofing is certified with all of the major shingle manufacturers, providing a 50-year non-prorated warranty. SureTop Roofing has estimators, project managers, and design consultants on staff, guaranteeing superior service. Visit SureTopRoofing.com. SureTop Roofing has you covered.